Amen. I would invite you to open your Bible tonight to the book of Galatians, chapter 5. Galatians 5. I want to thank our musicians for that lovely rendition of my Jesus, I love thee. I know thou art mine. It was, it was beautiful. Galatians chapter 5. Uh, tonight we're beginning a new series. And uh, when I say we, I mean not just me and you, but uh, we're doing a, a, a series in a new way. We're going to be studying the fruit of the Spirit, and all the pastors are going to be taking part. So uh, this will be every week consecutive. Uh, we won't miss a, a Sunday if I'm not here. Uh, but the, the great benefit of this, I think, is that we're going to just as pastors, we're talking about these things and praying about these things. Uh, how does God want to impact our life and um, the leadership here at Harvest, and then the congregation of Harvest, what is the Holy Spirit looking to do in our life as a, as a congregation? And, and uh, this is where we find it. The Holy Spirit is looking to produce in us, to make us look like our Lord, our Lord Jesus. And so it's going to be fun. Um, not just fun is way too trite. It's gonna, we're, we're excited about uh, opening the Word of God and looking specifically at what God intends to do in the life of his church. And so let's give our attention to Galatians chapter 5. I'm kind of setting the table tonight. We're going to begin reading at verse 13, and we'll read through the end of the chapter. Let's give our attention to God's holy, inspired, edifying, life-giving, and transforming word. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires." If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Let's ask the Lord's blessing. Our, our God and Father, we, we just come before you acknowledging, Lord, that these are words that we have heard most likely before, and words that we believe, and yet, oh God, we want these words to be living and dynamic like a double-edged sword dividing thoughts of our heart, exposing, Lord, uh, the lies that we believe, exposing, Lord, the idols that we cling to, and, and, Lord, opening our eyes to see the glorious things that you have prepared for us. 
So Lord, we, we pray that this would be a time for your Holy Spirit to use the, the wonderful weapon of the word to transform us in the likeness of Jesus. We pray it in his name. Amen. Well, brothers and sisters, before the world was formed, a long time ago, as God was in his mind uh, ordaining all things, uh, ordaining the number of, your, of your, the days of your life, for instance, uh, God purposed something grand and glorious and magnificent for you, specifically. Do you know what it is? It is the driving goal of all of God's saving work in your life. Before the world was formed, He predestined you, the Bible says, for this grand and glorious end, this purpose. He uh, united you by faith to Jesus Christ so that uh, He could accomplish this purpose in your life. He poured out the Holy Spirit so that you could experience this grand purpose. So what is it? What is this grand, glorious something that God has for you in Jesus? Forgiveness of sins? No, that's part obviously of the gospel, but that's not the grand purpose. Heaven itself? No. The grand purpose, we know from Scripture, is transformation. I get that from Romans chapter 8, verse 29, where Paul says, Those he that is God foreknew, foreloved, he also predestined, chose, to be conformed to the image of his Son. God predestined you, loved you before the foundation of the world, predestined you not just to be saved, He specifically predestined you to be conformed to the image of His Son, to make you look like Jesus, to transform your sinful, idolatry-ridden life and make it something pure and clean and beautiful and transcendent and um, precious in the sight of, of God. That's his glorious purpose. And, and so that means then that the, the Christian life is intended to be a life of radical, spirit-powered change. Spirit-powered transformation. Paul writes this in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, 17. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. You'll hear the similarity between the, the text we just read. And we all, with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. That's meant to be the experience of the Christian. Beholding the glory of the Lord, being transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit into the image of Christ. Have you ever wished you looked differently? Physically. Almost everybody does. Right? There's a few people who, you know, by Lord's kindness, they just got it all together, right? And they look in the mirror and, yeah, no, it's pretty good. Uh, that's not most people. Most of us have some idea of where some, uh, some improvements could be made, some tweaks here and there. Others of us are thinking wholesale change might be in order. But, but what about your spirit? Have you ever, your, your soul, your, your, the inner you, have you ever just thought, 
What, what would it be like to be beautiful inside? To be a person that is just remarkably loving and kind and gentle and patient and generous inside, where it's actually not something you're putting on or just try striving for, but it's, it's just there. It's you. I think it's something that we should think about more and pray about more. And I, I, as I was working on this sermon, it just struck me that I don't think it's a, uh, this idea of being transformed into the likeness of Christ is something that we all agree with and maybe assent to, but I'm not sure it has traction in the Christian world the way that it ought to. Is it, for instance, as I look at the American church culture, um, failure to look like Jesus doesn't seem to be a big deal. doesn't seem to bother people that much. And so we've, we accept in American Christianity a Christian life that is marked in distinct ways or at least affected in profound ways by works of the flesh. And so Christians are uh, involved in sexual sin and enmity and anger and anxiety without sensing a problem. More and more um, young people, Christian young people today, are living together outside of marriage as Christians, and it doesn't strike them as a problem. People are um, full of anger with what's going on in this country and full of anxiety about what's happening in their life, and and we just sort of live with these things and with covetousness and greed. We we, we live with these things as Christians, and and it it doesn't strike us as, as an issue, a problem. I think one of, the, one of the things that I sort of look to in, in my Christian life to see how I'm doing really is how I drive. Now, how I respond to other people driving, that's more what, what it is. I'm an excellent driver. <laughs> other people. <laughs> because um, I have a tendency, at least that's part of my spirit, to notice idiots on the road and then to remark about them. Okay? I don't think I'm alone in that. But... W- but that's sick. <clears throat> that's work of the flesh. I mean, that, that we laugh, but that's where the real you maybe is, is talking to you. How do you drive? Because too often, right, we're just as impatient and judgmental and condemning and self-righteous and unloving as any pagan, and it doesn't really concern us. Another reason I think this doesn't have traction the way it ought to is I don't hear a lot of prayers for these things, for transformation. I hear prayers for health, prayers for divine help in the trials of life. But I don't hear a lot of prayers where people specifically and even publicly beg God, change me, change me. I want to be more loving. I want to, I want to have... The, the joy of the Lord in my life. I want to be gentle and radiant with peace and, and full of patience. It's, it's, it's strange that we don't pray for things like this because Jesus said that this is how the world will know that you're my disciples as you love one another. And, and Paul said that the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. And the Apostle John said that if anyone says he loves God but doesn't love his brother, what is he? He's a liar. He doesn't doesn't love God. He doesn't even know God. Because God is love. And you can't say you love God and, and, and not love your brother. And so these are things you see that ought to be 
on our hearts things that we're praying for, begging God to do in our life. The evidence of a genuine, authentic Christian life is not theological knowledge. It isn't church attendance. It's not your devotional life or external moral behavior. The evidence, the biblical evidence of an authentic Christian is a spirit-born, the spirit-born fruit of a transformed heart. Someone who is changing by the power of God, according to the grand purpose of God. So I'm excited about this series because I, I think these are things that, well, we just sort of skimmed over the top of them. And I'm excited because I'm convinced that this is God's purpose for us. I, I've said before that Harvest has a reputation for being a good church, um, live, friendly church, good preaching, good worship, um, a certain buzz, and, and praise the Lord for, for, to the degree that any of that is true. But I'm absolutely convinced that what matters most to God is how, how do we love God and how do we love each other and how do we love our community? How do we love? And is, there, is the joy of Christ here? And is the peace of God being evidenced? And is there patience and kindness and, and gentleness being manifested in a way that's noticeable? I, uh, I mentioned the Jesus Revolution movie this morning. I, I watched an interview of uh, Kelsey Grammer. He's the one that plays Chuck Smith. It's very interesting. If you want just a, 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 an interesting little interview, it's like five minutes long. You can watch. Uh, he's being interviewed by CBS Morning Show. And um, they're talking about this, this movie with Kelsey. And uh, they asked Kelsey uh, if he remembers the Jesus movement. And he said he didn't really remember it, but he... Um, he did remember the Time Magazine article, and he remembered specifically being on the beach. He grew up in, Kelsey grew up in, in uh, Florida. Remembers being on the beach, and two teenage girls came up to him and eagerly asked him if he had met Jesus. And the host of the show had a little laugh about that. Um, and, um, but, but, but Kelsey said this. He said, with clear admiration in his voice, he said, there was, there was such excitement in their eyes. Such innocence and, and genuine faith, it, it clearly made an impact on him. It was intriguing to him that, that someone could have that sort of a relationship and be that excited about this man named Jesus that lived 2,000 years ago. These two teenage girls, he never forgot it. Wouldn't you like people to wonder about you in the same way and, and say there's, there's something about that person and their relationship with Jesus that, that's intriguing to me. There's an authenticity to it. There's a, there's a joy in it. There's a, there's a love and an innocence that flows out of it that's, that, that's appealing. I, that's something I, I want to pray for and, and, I, and, and beg God to do in my life. And, and see, the good news of the Gospels is that's precisely what God is doing. That's, what it, that's the work that he's begun in us, the work that he promises to carry on to completion. And, and so we're going to see as we go through the series that there, these, these, this fruit of the Spirit are not rules that we're to, to, to follow. This is not a work for us to create. It's not a standard for us to reach. This is what we can lean into as God's promise to us by the work of the Holy Spirit. This is ours to pray for, to walk by the Spirit in order um, to, to grow in. This is God's purpose for us. And so we can pursue this thing with great confidence.
But let's look at the context here of, of our text, the fruit of the Spirit. The context is, on the one hand, a divine calling, and then a, a very real spiritual battle. So Paul says, verse 13, you were called to freedom. You were called to freedom. When Paul uses that word called, it's not a, it's not a throwaway word. Paul thinks that the, the, the whole Christian is, uh, we're the fruit of a calling. God called us, just like he called uh, there to be a universe, let there be light, and let there be uh, the sea and, and uh, the expanse, all of it. Let there be animals and man. God calls, and they exist by virtue of the calling. And that's exactly what Paul has in mind when he thinks about a Christian. A Christian exists by virtue of a sovereign call of God. Let there be John and Joe and Sarah and Ann. Let there be this New thing, a new creation, a Christian out of the dead dirt of a sinner. And, and, uh, and, and it springs forth, it happens by the power of God. And, and part of that calling then is we're uh, called to freedom. Out of the bondage of our sin and our idolatry and, and the freedom of life in Jesus Christ, you are called to freedom, free to follow Jesus, free to love Jesus, free to serve Jesus and, and look like Jesus. But there's a, a warning linked to this freedom. Paul says, don't use your freedom, verse 14, 13, 14, as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. The freedom has an end. We're free to to love, and in that keep the law, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You're free to love. You're free to love. Have you ever had an animal in a cage, um, and you opened the door to let it go, and it just wouldn't go? I, uh, I, I trapped a possum once, a live trap, and, and I could not get that thing to leave the cage. It's like, you're free. Go. Afraid, right, terrified, plain dead, didn't want to go, wouldn't go. Well, how many Christians maybe aren't doing the same thing? You're free. You're free. Free, free to get over you and free to actually love people. To really, truly walk into this new experience of, of, of knowing the love of God and then, and then loving others with the love that God has poured into your life. You're free to love. You're free to care. You don't have to protect yourself. You don't have to worry about what people think or what people say. You don't, have to, you don't have to be in that bondage anymore. You can just care for people. You're free. But there's a battle that comes with that freedom. Verse 17, for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh, and they're opposed to each other. And so that's the reality we live in, where we have the reality of freedom, but that's going to happen in the context of reality of this spiritual battle, where the old man of sin, the flesh, is still battling for everything that's wrong. And the Holy Spirit of God is battling for everything that's good. And both the, the, both the flesh and the spirit have desires. They want things. And those desires are in conflict. That's the battle. But both also, the desires bear evident fruit. You can, you can tell what's going on. So Paul will say the desires of the flesh, they bear evident fruit. The works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, 
fits of anger, rivalry, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like this. When, you're, when you see those things in your life or the life of someone else, you don't have to wonder, what am I looking at here? Right? You know what you're looking at. It's not a personality issue. It's not just someone having a bad day. It's not a character flaw in its sense. What, what you're looking at are works of the flesh. This is what the flesh desires. There's something very clarifying about that in your own life and in the life of other people. All right, Van Dyke, I know what that is. That's work of the flesh. That's uh, something that God has freed me from, something I can repent of and turn away and walk in, in newness. And brother and sister, the same for you. We, 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 this isn't hard. We, that's what that is. Let me help you. That's how it works. Now, these desires are very strong, but praise be to God. We have a greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. We're not left to fight this battle on our own. The Spirit, the third person of the divine trinity, has been given to you in order that you might walk in your freedom, in order that you might put to death the desires of the flesh, and you might bear the fruit of the Spirit. And that's the great promise that we have as Christians. This is a promise. This isn't something that God is, is, is trying to make us just simply aspire to. It's a promise he gives to us. If you walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Transformation happens by the power of the Holy Spirit. When we walk with the Spirit, by the Spirit, calling uh, out to God in prayer, calling, asking the Spirit, uh, Spirit, I need your help right now. Uh, opening your Bible so that the Spirit can talk to you, applying the truth of that word, being uh, in fellowship with other Christians who are encouraging you in that word. As we walk in the Spirit, we are just putting to death. You're going to be slain the desires of the flesh. That's the promise. The text is saturated with the Spirit. We, I like the phrase that um, Chris Hartshorn uh, gave me, uh, let's be Pentecostal Presbyterians. Let's be people who talk about the Holy Spirit, who think about the Spirit, who lean into the Spirit, trusting that the Spirit has been given to us precisely uh, to, to give all that we need in our Christian life. So Paul mentions the Spirit seven times in this, in this short little text. It's a Spirit-filled life that Paul has in mind. And, and so the marks that we're going to talk about here, they're not just characteristics of nice people. These are, these are things that come down from heaven, things that have the whiff of eternity and, and, and deity on, on them uh, because God pours these things into our life and works these things into our life by the Holy Spirit. That's what Paul says in Philippians 2.3. It is God, God who works in you both to will and to do according to his good pleasure. Do you have a desire to do what pleases God? Is it, is it there at all? Well, God has worked that in you. Are there times when you find that you do things that please God? You, you humble yourself, you, you serve others, you show gentleness and kindness, display love. Well, God is working that in you. That is very exciting. It's wonderful. The, 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 the process of sanctification is meant to be the, a a battle, but man, it's a good battle, and it's a joyful journey. And God is doing the work, which makes it so exciting because we're going to get there. 
I want you to imagine being an, uh, a, a, a caterpillar with an intellect. And uh, you're just crawling right through the dirt. Uh, the horizons of your life are not great. You, you, you look all day long at dirt and dead leaves and decaying grass and bark. It's not, it's not, it's not great. And uh, you look at the birds, and man, they got it made. They uh, go wherever they want. They see everything. They go, they can go to Florida in the wintertime. It's, it's wonderful being a bird. Why couldn't God make you a bird? And then an old caterpillar um, comes alongside, and, and he points to a gorgeous butterfly. And, and yeah, there she is. I mean, good grief. It would be, what a life that butterfly must live. I mean, she just glides effortless, effortlessly through the air, so dainty, so perfect. She's just beautiful. Why couldn't you be a butterfly? And the old caterpillar says to you, well, that's exactly what you're going to be. You just wait. God's going to see to it. That's your destiny. Well, friends, that's exactly how God wants us to think about our life. We, we tend to look at the mundane circumstances of our life, and it's not great. It's hard. It's mundane. We're doing mundane things. But God wants us to lift up our eyes to see that he has some, uh, a grand, glorious purpose for us. He's, he's making us beautiful, not just in the sweet by and by, but in the present day to day. That we can expect the Holy Spirit to do this work uh, by, because it's God's intent, God's purpose, and, and God promises it, that he's going to work these, the fruit of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness. And if God promises it, then, then shouldn't we ask for it? If God promises it, shouldn't we long for it, hunger for it, and, 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 and plead with God, Lord, I want to be that person inside, in truth, where there's actual love and there's joy even in hard circumstances, and there's peace even when the, the, there's things that are scary in my life, and there's a, there's a kindness that's supernatural and a patience that was never there before. God, do this in my life. I beg you, fulfill your word. Carry out your purpose. Give me your spirit. Make me like Jesus. Man, that, that sort of tenacity and intentionality is, uh, I think, exactly what God has in mind. Well, let's <clears throat> let's move on, and, and we're going to um, just talk very briefly about this fruit called love. John Stott says, the first and great evidence of our being filled with the Spirit is not some private mystical experience of our own, but our practical relationships of love with other people. Uh, there was a man, I, I won't mention his name, he's a well-known author, he's with the Lord now, um, wrote many books, and very good books, books that I've benefited from a great deal, um, a very thoughtful, profound theologian. Uh, and when he died, his wife opened up about the reality of their marriage. And she said, my husband, um, he loved his books, he loved his theology. I believe he loved the Lord, but he never loved me. Their marriage was a mess. It was an absolute shambles. You see, the evidence of a, of a man of God or woman of God isn't... Um, it's not other things. It's, it's, it's how, do you, how do you deal with the people that God's put right in your life? Would they say that there's the, these fruits are evident in your life? That, that's that's the, the sign of an authentic Christian. And that sort of, you, you see, that love is what's well, necessary. The only thing that counts, Paul says, Galatians 5, 6. The only thing that counts is faith. I believe in God. 
And that's being expressed in my love for God's people and for, and for my neighbors that God's put around me. And, and, and it's a love again that we don't work up. It's poured into our heart. Romans, I love what Paul says, Romans 5, 5, the love of God's been poured into our hearts. And that love that we've received from God compels us to love others. So Paul will say in 2 Corinthians 5, 14, the love of Christ controls us. It compels us. Why would Paul go to a city where he knows he's going to be hated, he's going to be mocked, scorned, maybe uh, beaten, stoned? I mean, he knows it's going to happen. So, you know, Paul, don't go to, don't go to Derby. Don't go to Lydia. Don't, just don't go there. You know what's waiting for you. So why would he? Because he loves Jesus and he loves lost people. And he he's, can't help but being constrained by the love of God. He, want, he can't help it but go and share with them the good news of Jesus Christ. That's a beautiful life. John says we love because he, that is God, first loved us. You see, the world will say you can't love others until you first love yourself. That is not in the Bible. It's not in the Bible. The Bible says you can't love others until you first experience the love of God for you. You can't love others, not in a Christian way, until and you've experienced God's love for you. But when you do, when you, when you stand at the foot of the cross and you're stunned by what God was willing to do for you by sacrificing his son for your sin in your place, though you though you'd never could deserve it and you didn't even ask for it, God loved you and gave you to Christ. When you're stunned by the love of God, see, it just breaks down all those barriers, those uh, the barriers to love, the, the, um, the grudges, the lack of a forgiving spirit, um, the, the fear, all those things start decaying and breaking down under the love of God so that you can just finally be done with you and, and, and notice people. Just, just notice people and, and hear them and, and actually care about them. It's a, it's, a, it's a beautiful thing that God does in our life. That's what I think, you know, um, when, when the world sees us, they, they should see something in us that's, that's different, that's intriguing, inviting, just like Kelsey Grammer experienced on the beach with those girls. So that when someone steps into the doors of this church or into the doors of your home, that, that they should be struck by the love, the gentleness, and the kindness, and the consideration that's happening right in front of them, that that is different. It's unique. I read an article uh, just recently entitled Four Things That Caused the Early Church to Grow Like Wildfire. It's well worth the read. Four things that caused the early church to grow like wildfire. He said, one, they had a faith that produced obedience. People actually followed Jesus. They had a passion that produced unity. They had one goal to, to, to honor God and to... to uh, Forward the cause of Christ, and that produced unity. They had a desperation that produced prayer. They didn't pray because they knew they were supposed to, but because in the context of missions, they knew they had to. They had a spirit that produced power. And I want to add a fifth, which I think is absolutely right. They had a love that produced a compelling witness. If you look in the book of Acts, when the, when the, when the people saw how they loved each other, that was a compelling argument for the reality of Jesus Christ. And it's the same today. If we want to be a church where um, God is honored and where the gospel cause is forwarded in our community, 
It has to begin with gospel transformation. It's got to start here. The same author said this. I think it's right. He says, everything Jesus desires to do through you, he will do out of the overflow of what he's doing in you. Everything Jesus desires to do through you, he will do out of the overflow of what he's doing in you. The work of transformation is critical to the cause of Christ. It's, it's the way Jesus proves who he is to the world. Because the church loves each other. They love each other. Even when it's hard, even when it hurts. And they love their, their neighbors, in their homes, in their community. And that's what makes me excited about this series, friends, because I'm convinced that God is doing something here in our midst, that he's moving us forward into uh, this sort of transformation and and to this sort of gospel mission. And I'd just like to ask you as we go through this series, don't let this just be a sermon series you listen to, but as we go through these uh, these transforming um, fruit of the Spirit, just be praying those things in. Reflect on that. The, where does your life and that fruit meet up? Where, where do you need to grow in that? How could you practice that fruit this week? What would love look like? The love of God poured out in your life as, as you forgive other people. Maybe as you take the initiative and, and, uh, and heal an old, old relationship, an old wound. Maybe as you just, as just humble yourself and start serving in a new way. Maybe just a kind word of encouragement to someone who could really use it. What's love going to look like in your life this week as God transforms you by the power of the Holy Spirit? May God grant it. Amen. Oh, God in heaven, we want to be transformed. I just thank you so much, Father. This is your purpose for us, that you didn't save us just to forgive us. You didn't save us just to get us to heaven. Father, you saved us. You gave us to Jesus Christ, and you poured out your Holy Spirit that we might be conformed to the image of your Son. And Father, forgive us for not thinking deeply of this and for treating it lightly. Forgive us for being at peace with works of the flesh in our life. Forgive us for not hungering for this, these beautiful manifestations of the power and presence of your Spirit. So Jesus, convict us for our pride in this and and I pray, O oh God, that you would give us a hunger to be people who are molded by the power of the Spirit in these ways. And that our life through um, not our ability or merit, but, uh, but all by the power of God and, and the grace of our Lord Jesus, that our lives are being manifestly transformed. And we are not the people we used to be. We thank you, O oh God, that this is the work you promised to do. And we, Lord, I, I just pray for your spirit to be mightily at work. And I pray, Lord, that that would, in each of our hearts, begin to be more clear and evident and, and beautiful and precious to us as we follow our Lord Jesus. Oh, God, do this work. We beg you, do this work. In Jesus' name, amen. We're responding to the word this evening and pray a prayer together. Spirit of God, descend upon my heart. <clears throat> Teach me to love thee as thine angels love. One holy passion 
filling all my frame. Let's stand together and pray these words together. We'll sing, May the Peace of God. And then after that, um, we will love our young people by helping them out with some trays. <laughs> Receive the benediction. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. May the grace of our Lord Jesus be with you all.